leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. researchers showed that they could extend the lifespan of worms by manipulating the genetics of those model organisms. The implications that the normal aging process could be altered ignited scientific research into the emerging area of geroscience. As the Buck Institute of Research on Aging readies to mark the anniversary of this landmark research with a day-long celebration, we spoke to Gordon Lithgow, Chief Academic Officer of the Buck. Lithgow discussed how the field has advanced from that key discovery, our understanding of aging today, and what progress has been made to identify compounds that could extend healthy years of life. Gordon, thanks for joining us. Hi, Daniel. Delighted to be here. As the Buck Institute for Research on Aging gets ready to celebrate a a landmark discovery in the history of science around aging, I thought it would be a good opportunity to check in with you and and consider where we are in terms of understanding aging and, and where we might be heading in terms of our ability to use therapeutic interventions to extend healthy life and productive years of life. For listeners not familiar with the Buck, can you begin with a brief overview of what it is and what it does? Sure. The the Buck Institute opened its doors about 17 years ago as the first in the world freestanding institute devoted to research on the biology of aging. Um, but also it was interested in, in the chronic disease of aging, which is, of course, the, the really significant factor here. So we're, we're celebrating at the Buck uh, soon uh, the 30th anniversary of what many people believe was a landmark discovery in initiating uh, this whole field, which was the discovery of a mutation in the gene that extended an animal's lifespan by Tom Johnson at the University of Colorado. And that science really set up the atmosphere and the, and the environment for the, the buck to be formed and to, to, to grow to its current uh, size of 22 faculty, uh, all devoted to this really fascinating area of biology. Think back to that 1988 discovery. Can you speak a little about the specifics of it and, and the impact it had on the field that would emerge as geroscience? Yeah, so so basically two postdoctoral researchers at the University of Colorado, Mike Klass and Tom Johnson, were interested in finding genes involved in aging, which was, was kind of a, a, a strange activity at that time. Aging research was um, 
was really confined to its own uh, aging journals and was, was kind of con comparative research comparing young animals to old animals and so on. But uh, what, what Mike did was to publish a, a paper showing that he had isolated some long-lived uh, tiny nematode worms. This is the, the C. elegans worm that, that's used widely in biological research. And, um, and, and Mike came to the conclusion these worms were long-lived because they weren't eating as much as normal worms, which is a phenomena called caloric restriction, which had been known since the 1950s in, in mice. But, but Tom uh, went on to study these worms and found out that actually it wasn't about how much they were eating, but it was the fact that they, they harbored a mutation in a single gene, which Tom called age one, that when mutated, extended the lifespan by, by 70, 70 percent. And he, he published a couple of papers in aging journals, in, in one in 1988. And uh, I think it's fair to say that, that many people reading these, these papers were quite skeptical of the idea because no one at that time believed there was really such a thing as you know, genes that, that determined lifespan to such a great extent. Um, and so, so really not much attention was paid uh, to, to the discovery. I, I kind of believe I went to actually work with Tom, as did uh, you know, some of the other prominent researchers around right now. But, uh, but it really took other, other researchers to come into the field, notably Cynthia Kenyon and, and Gary Rufkin, uh, who were very well-known biologists studying developmental processes. And then they really, you know, sort of said, you know, this is, this is right. There are, there are genes, and we've discovered additional genes that have these very large effects on lifespan. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a strange time where uh, you had the skeptics on one hand and then the believers on the other, and, uh, and then suddenly everyone realized that this was, this was real, and it was kind of like a gold rush. Uh, for every young scientist who, who came across this, science wanted to go out and find their own aging genes. So it was one of those pivotal points. And, you know, coming to, to today, uh, you know, now, now 30 years onwards, um, this is a very much more mature field, even though aging remains a, a profound mystery. But now we know of hundreds of genes that determine lifespan in simple organisms. And, and the real challenge now is to move the knowledge that we've discovered over the last 30 years in, into humans and, and, and sort of develop, use this knowledge to try and develop therapies for, for chronic age-related diseases like neurodegenerative disease, cancer, uh, cardiovascular disease, and so on. And, and that, that's real. That's, that's really happening right now where we're looking at this data from laboratory animals and, and trying to understand what it, what it could do for human health. How is aging viewed today? Is it considered a disease? Is it something we can or will be able to mediate with therapeutic options? Well, I think most of the biomedical community is not really thinking about aging. You know, you, you think about cardiovascular disease. I think most people working in that area, uh, you know, think about risk factors like, like smoking and, and, and obesity and so on. But um, perhaps ignore aging, which is actually the biggest risk factor for cardiovascular disease. And, and, and so I think that we're going to see a, a, a change across research as a whole in, in thinking about aging. What, what the people who have looked at this uh, you know, over the last few years have realized is that aging is, is malleable. I mean, it's changeable. You, you can find drug-like compounds slow aging in laboratory animals. And you put that alongside the fact that aging is this huge risk factor for all the major diseases that we face in, in this century. That, that, that's incredible that, that you, can, you can potentially change, uh, in a good way, the major risk factor for, for human chronic disease. So I, I think it's inevitable that, that, that the, the entire biomedical community is going to come to the conclusion that, that it's extremely important to focus on aging, which is really the root cause of all of this. 
is and that's a big change. Is there any reason to think human longevity has a fixed wall? Is there any reason to believe that there's an upward limit that we won't be able to ever exceed? Well, that, that's, that's up for debate, even amongst people who are, have been studying aging for many years. There's certainly a limit at the moment. We, we don't think that the people, very many people are going to make out to 120 or, or beyond. Um, the current human record is 122, and that hasn't really been challenged for a while. Um, but that's without any intervention. That's without uh, the, the, the kind of science that we've been doing in laboratory animals. Um, and, but to be honest, this longevity, I think, is not really at the forefront of people's minds. It's, it's, it's the disease of late life. I mean, you know, uh, no one wants the 10 years additional suffering. What they want is 10 years additional health. Uh, and I, I think that the goal of this field is really to, to let people enjoy and be, be productive in, in later life into their 80s and 90s, uh, you know, w without the threat of, of, of chronic disease. Uh, so so that, that's really, I think, what the field is focused on. This area of human biology grew out of the study of model systems. How predictive of human biology are these model systems? Well, I think that's the big question at the moment. We, we do have all this knowledge, and we've, we've, we have seen that mechanisms that play in, in simple nematode worms and flies are also a play in, in rodents in laboratory mice. And that, that alone is a major step that suggests that there's conservation of mechanisms that are determining lifespan and driving age-related disease. So there's great hope, actually, that, uh, that it will be the same for humans. And, and the mouse has proven to be a good model in, in, in many diseases, uh, of human diseases. And so um, there, there's, there's a lot of attention being paid to how do we now test this. And one of the challenges, actually, is how do you measure aging in humans? Uh, you know, no one's talking about doing uh, an experiment that, that, you know, measures how long people live. It's just too long and too expensive and, and not really of much interest. But if we can find ways to measure aging over the short term, over the six months or the 12 month period, you know, to, to show that an intervention uh, can, can actually change you within that period of time, that's the kind of thing we want to do. And, and I just want to step back for a second from the, the, the the technology and, and the drugs and all of it, and just say that, you know, think about exercise. You know, think about someone who's not exercising and then takes up an exercise program and the transformation that can happen to them over a six or 12 month period that's very measurable and, and, and obviously greatly improves their health. And, and we really believe that exercise is having a very positive effect on aging. So it's that kind of thing that we want to measure with different interventions. Uh, both dietary and uh, exercise, and then eventually pharmaceutical. You're involved in the CTIP. Uh, I use the acronym because I want to avoid mispronouncing its full name. Can you explain what it is and, and what it's doing? Yeah, the, the CITP or Cinerabditis Intervention Program. And Cinerabditis is actually the, the name of that worm that Tom Johnson first found his mutation in 30 years ago. So we're still working with that, that organism. And, and the, what the CITP is doing is looking at how robust and rigorous the experiments that are undertaken in, in these aging labs are, really are. And um, many of us have had the, the experience of making a discovery and publishing it in a prominent journal. And then other labs have, have failed to replicate those studies. And that's a big concern. And it's partly because aging is, is controlled by so many factors, uh, not just the, the drugs that we're putting on worms or the, the genes that we're altering, but also the environment has a huge effect. 
And so we really need to understand, as we're thinking about moving into humans, and, and actually thinking about moving into healthy humans, imagine that concept of treating someone who doesn't actually have a disease currently. Um, but as we move into that, that world, I think we need to understand um, both you know, what's reproducible, what environmental factors are going to, going to play a part in this, and, and also what genetics, you know, and so we're very interested in different genetic backgrounds. And so what we're doing practically is taking uh, chemical compounds, uh, testing if they extend lifespan in not just one strain of laboratory worms, but in, in actually many different wild strains. So we're looking at genetic background as a, as a player. And what we're finding is that, you know, you know, good news, the good news is that actually we can find compounds that extend lifespan robustly and reproducibly across different labs and different strains. Uh, but we also find compounds that only work in certain strains. And maybe that's not surprising. It means that, that some, some genetics is not going to work with some compounds. And this is something we know, uh, already in, in thinking about uh, humans and, and certain treatments that only work in some people. So the long-term position there is trying to understand what, what therapies uh, are likely to work in, in what people uh, to, to dampen down the, the threat of age-related disease. What's the range of compounds that are being looked at? Are you looking beyond drugs? Are you looking at any novel compounds? Yeah, we're looking at a range of compounds. Some of them are natural products that, that are found in, in fruits and vegetables. Uh, some of them are synthetics there for more drug-like compounds. And we're also looking at current drugs, uh, you know, drugs that are already used in, for example, uh, diabetes, and asking whether those drugs are actually affecting aging. And, and that's based actually on, on work from many labs showing that a, a, a drug used for diabetes called metformin is, is a really good candidate as a potential uh, longevity uh, enhancer. So it, it enhances longevity in laboratory animals and seems to, <laughs> this is amazing, it actually seems to improve the health of of diabetics on the, on the treatment beyond their diabetes. So, in other words, you know, what, what at least the the, uh, the the observation is that they are avoiding other health conditions associated with with aging, uh, such as neurological disease. Is there any understanding what it's doing at a biological level? Yes, the, the mechanism of metformin and its, and its effects on aging is fairly well understood, although you know there's, there's lots more to learn. But uh, it's used in diabetes because it fools the body into thinking that there's, there's less food there than there really is. And again, that relates to the caloric restriction mechanism that's been known in animal models for many years. So it's perhaps the leading candidate right now for clinical trials to see if metformin can protect not just against diabetes, but against other chronic diseases as well. And um, some of our colleagues are, are undertaking what's called the TAME trial, uh, or at least they, they, they're raising money to do this trial. And uh, we're, all, we're all watching uh, with bated breath to see what happens. One of the issues you look at is homeostasis, the biological mechanisms that keep systems in balance. What can be said about the role of homeostasis in the aging process? Does it provide a way of understanding the underlying processes of, of aging? Yeah, I think so. We, we, you know, we have all these mechanisms in our, our organs and tissues and cells that essentially when the system is disrupted, like for example, if you walk out into the sunshine and the UV shines on your skin, your skin cells stop what they're doing because there's a stress there, there's a change in the environment, there's damage happening at the molecular level. And we have all these defense systems against this damage that come into play 
you know, the cell stops what it's doing and turns on defense systems and, and puts everything back to where it was before, and then it, it, it continues on with, with normal sort of metabolism. But um, unfortunately, what we've observed is that these processes, these homeostatic regulators, degrade with age. In other words, the, 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 the tissues are less able to, to go back to the, the original state. And instead, what happens is that molecular damage accumulates and tissue damage accumulates. And, um, and, and this is perhaps one of the best definitions of aging we have, at least at the observational level, is that aging is an accumulation of cellular and molecular damage as a result of these systems not working as well as they should. Now, now why they don't work as well is, is a bit of, bit of a mystery. You know, we, we can augment them. We can boost them with, with chemical drug-like molecules that, that, that help homeostasis, promote homeostasis. But exactly why aging is, is that process where the degrade is, is not really clear. I'm wondering how your own work as a researcher has shaped your approach to things like diet, exercise, and lifestyle. Anything you avoid in your own life or supplements you take, daily rituals you follow as a result of your work? Well, a couple of things, and I used to say, uh, you know, to, to anyone who asks that there is, there's nothing that a doctor uh, can prescribe you or nothing that you can buy in a health store that's guaranteed to extend your lifespan, and in some ways that's still the case because we just don't know for humans, but, but you know, when, when you look at, down a microscope, uh, a little worm that's wriggling around on a plate, and, and you know that it's, it's alive because you've done something to it, it has a sort of powerful effect on your, on your own psychology. Um, for, for me, exercise is, is, is a, is a no-brainer. It's just so clear that the benefits of exercise are across the board. They, it's, it really does slow, and in some cases, you cannot point to reversal of aging characteristics with exercise. So that's something I try to do. I wish I could do more. Um, and, and, and diet is obviously important as well, and it's the usual thing of, of, of avoiding um, uh, you know, high-calorific foods and so on. But um, in terms of, of taking uh, supplements and so on. The, the, the one for me that, that's also clear is, is if you are deficient in vitamin D, then there's an elevated risk of uh, a, a number of age-related diseases. And at least in worms, just in worms now, at least in worms, if, if you bring the vitamin D levels up to, to more like normal, then you see protection against um, pathology and you also see an extension in lifespan so I, I, I take a vitamin D supplement every day um, not too much just 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 like a, a thousand units or so and that, that just comes from our own observations on these tiny worms. Gordon Lithgow chief academic officer of the Buck Institute for research on aging Gordon thanks so much for your time today. Thanks Daniel this was fun. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.